You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Next Sunday, just a reminder to you, we'll be back on our uh, normal uh, every Sunday uh, schedule. And uh, so with Sunday school and worship, and uh, so encourage you uh, to try to be here on the first of the year and get the year started off right uh, by being with the Lord. I'm also planning to return to our study in Romans next Sunday, Romans chapter 9, and uh, so we look forward to how the Lord will continue to speak to us through Uh, that letter. But this morning, I want us to continue thinking about John's message to us and the message of of Christmas. And uh, we started that last night, and and, uh, we'll look at a few more verses this morning uh, from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Lord, we thank You for Your Word today. We know and acknowledge that the greatest need of our lives is is Your truth, Lord, Your Word to us, Your life-giving Word. And so, Lord, may we receive it today. May you open our eyes and our ears to hear it, um, that we would be uh, filled, Lord, with your spirit and the truth of your word, and that you might use it to uh, shape us and change us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, whom we've gathered uh, to celebrate and worship today. In his name we pray, amen. Well, it was Christmas, and the pastor had planned a visit of one of the Sunday school classes and uh, the kids, and the teacher was wanting to kind of impress the pastor, and uh, so he had the children draw some of their pictures of what the Christmas story meant uh, for them. And so the teacher put the artwork on display uh, for the pastor to see as he came and visited, and he was impressed with each one of them, and one of them, there was kind of a barn-like structure, and, and uh, clearly a man and a woman, Mary and Joseph, Jesus in the manger, and uh, another picture kind of highlighted more of the, the, the sheep and, and the angels and the shepherds and, and uh, those scenes, and then there's another one with the caravan of the wise men. Uh, and bringing their gifts uh, to Jesus had the star and the sky. But there was one that was puzzling to the pastor, and uh, it was a a picture of an airplane. And uh, he thought, that's kind of strange, and uh, he he went back and studied it for a bit, and then he asked about it, and and one of the kids spoke up and explained it, and he says, well, that's Jesus' flight to Egypt. (laughs) 
And uh, the pastor said, okay, well, but who's that up front? And the little boy said, well, that's Pontius the pilot, he said. (laughs) Strange things about the Christmas story, huh? There are some strange things and and even quite scandalous things about uh, the Christmas story. Um, and, and you think about the whole deal, and I don't know if you have, you, we become so familiar with it, but when you, when you think about it, it's hard to fathom that someone would have actually fabricated such a story. Uh, the, the details are, are, are so uh, just strange. It, it's how improbable it is that an angel would come to a young girl who had known no man and tell her that she had conceived Uh, Or uh, more surprisingly, uh, that her betrothed husband, uh, Joseph, uh, how he had the dream of the angel and then how he agreed to to still take Mary as his, as his wife. And, and, and the, bigger, the biggest shock of all is that, that God is the one who is doing all of this. And I don't know how you imagine God, um, but I know that how he's imagined by many today, that God is this distant, far-off power that has uh, little to do with any kind of details in our lives. Um, but, but the God who is pictured in the Christmas story is one who is intimately involved in people's lives, isn't he? He, he turns lives upside down. He changes direction. He acts in ways that we wouldn't have expected or wouldn't have dreamed that he would uh, do the kinds of things that, that we, we read. And the biggest shock of all, though, is, is really not that this a teenage girl had become pregnant or that Joseph, her betrothed, had decided to take her as uh, uh, his, his wife. The biggest shock of all is that, that this, is that this child was the son of God. Son of God, that God took on flesh. And, and I think this may be why John's gospel here chooses not to focus on the narrative parts of the birth that we think about so often, the story involving in it, but rather the meta narrative, the bigger story, the bigger picture, the story of redemption, the, the story of, of God Himself taking on flesh so as to redeem his people from their sin. Uh, John, at the very end of his gospel, states that the purpose in writing it, um, he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And in these uh, opening verses here in John, he has been making the case that Jesus is the Son of God, that this baby that was born in Bethlehem was God in the flesh. He was the Word. The Word who was God has now become flesh and dwelt among us. And it's interesting how John, John uses a kind of a, an interesting word to describe the uniqueness of Jesus, which seems to be his focus. It's, it's in our text today. It's the little word only. Did you see it that it was read there? Only? Or, or maybe as some of us learned, learned it early on, uh, begotten. Begotten. He mentions it in verse 14 and in verse 18. He says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
And then verse 18, he says it again, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. And, and I think that John, is, again, in his theme in these opening verses, is, is communicating to us that this was not an ordinary uh, a story. It was not an ordinary birth by any means. And this is no ordinary person that has been born. But he's communicating something of the uniqueness of, of Jesus. And there, there are several things uh, th- that we can see in his his uniqueness in this word. First of all, Jesus is unique in his person. In his person. Uh, John adds a, a parenthetical comment there in verse 15. He says that John, now that's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist bore witness about him, about Jesus, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. So John the Baptist is saying that he, speaking of Jesus, who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In terms of of humans, uh, human people, you would would be hard-pressed to find someone more uh, impressive or spiritually than John the Baptist. Because you, you remember as well that John's Birth was also announced by an angel. Luke 1.15, he will be great. Speaking of John the Baptist, he will be great before the Lord, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And John had an inspiring message and ministry, and he called people to repent and believe, and many people came to faith. And yet John himself is saying here that Jesus is before him. In fact, verse 30, he says, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He repeats it again. John is saying that that while he may have been born a few months before Jesus was born, and he began his ministry before Jesus began his ministry, that in all reality, Jesus is much greater than John. And actually, he says, this phrase, Jesus was before John. He was before John. It's a powerful phrase, and and it fits into what John has been saying to us because it tells us something very important about Jesus. It, It is speaking of the fact that Jesus has eternally existed. He's always been. Wait a minute, now John was born before Jesus. John says, no, that, well, that, that little fact may be true, but you need to know that Jesus was always before me. From verse 1, in fact, he told us, John, uh, the gospel writer, told us that Jesus was God. And because God has no beginning or no end, so it is with Jesus. Jesus has no beginning, no end. He's a unique person. And in fact, that's what we see in the word only or the word begotten, as I mentioned. The the word usually means uh, to be born. And so some people might read this and and say something like, oh, I see, there was this, there was the Father, and He was God from all eternity, and then at some point in time and a place, uh, His Son came into existence. That is not what John has said. In fact, he said in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus Christ. He was there in the very 
beginning. He's always been. So the word begotten cannot mean that there was a time in which Jesus was, was not. By using the word begotten, John is rather trying to get across another point. The word begotten, again, can, can also mean only. He is the only one of his kind. So what John is saying is that Jesus is the, is the same substance or the same nature as the Father himself. Jesus is divine as the only Son of God. He is eternally the Son of God, and he is God. He is God. He bears the Father's Divine nature and is the only heir to the Father. That same idea is repeated in another word in verse 14 that we looked at last night. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the word became seems to imply that something that was not uh, is now a reality. But again, that is not what John is saying. He said it in multiple ways. God is not becoming God is not changing. God is not growing. God is not at any point incomplete. If he were incomplete in any way, he would not be God, right? God is pure. He's an unchangeable being, and yet he became flesh. He became a man. That doesn't mean that he stopped being God. It's just that he took on flesh. MacArthur stated it like this, the eternal word became flesh, something that he had never been before without ceasing to be what he, was, what he always was. He's always divine, always in existence. The divine nature simply added human nature, but he didn't add our sinful nature. God took on the fullness of humanity while remaining fully God. This is why Jesus is unique in his person, church. This is important, not just for our doctrine. That's super important. This is important for our devotion today. Because, again, we have not gathered to worship today because another baby has been born. I love uh, babies not that I'm saying I want another baby because I already had a bunch of them over there, but... But there's hardly anything like the birth of a child, right? It, it's, a, it, it's a wonderful blessing. But we have not gathered today simply because another baby has been born. We have not gathered today because the baby uh, in the manger was a human. We're here today because the, the baby in the manger was God. In every way, shape, and form. We are not here today because he grew up into this really good spiritual leader that a lot of people think he had a lot of good teaching and, and we're going to follow him. No, we're here because he was and he is God. He's not just another man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another religious leader. We've not come today uh, to, 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 to pay homage to, to some religious leader. we come today to worship him because he's God. We're not here because he added a little bit of special to our lives. No, we're here because Jesus is our very life. 
He is the light, John says. He is, and that light was the, the life of man. And we have no life apart from Jesus Christ. And for those of us who put our faith in him, he has changed us and he's continuing to change us today. That's why we're here. A lot of folks in the world say they believe in, in Jesus Christ and they say that they understand something of, of who he is, but yet it hasn't changed their lives. The, the only way to explain this is that contrary to what they claim, they haven't really grasped the meaning that this Jesus that we're talking about is God. Because the only appropriate response to to that is surrender, it is humility, it is repentance, it is faith, it is here's my life, you are God. No other response makes any sense to Jesus. Even one of the greatest spiritual leaders to ever walk on the planet, John the Baptist, acknowledges, uh, uh, Jesus, this guy, he's unique in his person. He's God. Amen? Secondly, John the Gospel writer tells us that Jesus is unique in his resources. Unique in his resources. Verses 16 and 17 it says, For from his, his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There will be a lot of gifts exchanged today, but none of those gifts will come close to what Christ has given. Jesus has the fullness of all of the spiritual blessings that we need. There's never a circumstance beyond His ability to provide for us. There, there, is, there is no other thing that is lacking when we come to Christ and when we see this throughout, his, uh, throughout John's gospel, you, you think about, and, and you know some of these stories, when the wine ran out at the wedding in Cana, that Jesus had the fullness of the, uh, in himself, the fullness to provide an abundance out of the highest quality wine for that feast. When he, a little later, when he meets a woman who has been shamed uh, by her sin, Jesus was able to make her born again. For the man that we encounter in John who's, who was lame for some 38 years of his life, Jesus had the power to heal him. When a huge crowd uh, came and were hungry, Jesus took five loaves and uh, two fish and he fed them all. Even, uh, even death couldn't challenge the fullness of Jesus Christ as he stood at Lazarus' tomb and called him back. Uh, raised him from the dead. These are signs of Jesus' unique nature. And they're also signs that out of that nature, what he can give, the resources, how he can provide for all of our needs out of his infinite, almighty, divine life and out of his never-ending love for us. Most importantly, John says, from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. That's a wonderful phrase today. Jesus dispenses inexhaustible grace. 
Grace upon grace. Literally, it means grace in the place of grace, in the place of grace. It's like, it's like this grace just keeps replacing itself in our lives. And I don't know about many of you, but I need that kind of replacing grace in my life. Anybody else say that today? It's like waves. And, and it's a good thought. I found myself thinking about that this morning. Um, you know, I don't know what that guy was thinking when he said I was dreaming of a white Christmas. Maybe um, I was dreaming of a, of a beach kind of Christmas, um, especially after the last couple of days. But you think about standing in that ocean, um, at, which I don't do because I don't like what's out there, but I stand on the shore and look at it, and, 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 and I see the waves coming in, and they just keep rolling over, and then another one rolls over, and then another one rolls over, and it's a wonderful picture of God's grace in our lives. It just never stops. It just keeps rolling over us and rolling over us. That's the idea that's expressed here. It's what we've been talking about in Romans. You remember uh, in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, it says that through him, through Jesus, we've also obtained by faith, the access by faith into this grace, he says, in which we stand. That if, that if you've put your faith in Christ, you now stand in the grace and and it's like you're standing in the ocean the ocean of his grace and these waves continue to flood back and forth over you all over you every day they keep coming in his mercies are new every single morning the scripture says there is no end to his grace amen no end praise the lord we're not still under the law of moses John says, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. If John the Baptist was great, so was Moses. Here's a man whom God used to set Israel free from Pharaoh, who led them to the promised land and through whom God gave the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is greater. And Jesus is greater, not simply because he brings some a kind of greater message than Moses brought, but because Jesus himself is the message, you see. Through the law, the law reveals our sins. Jesus gives us resources, the grace that we might be free from that law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, he says. A.W. Pink List some of the ways grace is better than the law. The law manifested what was in man, sin, but grace manifests what is in God, love. The law demanded righteousness from men, but grace brings righteousness to men. The law sentences a living man to death, but grace brings a dead man to life. The law speaks of what men must do for God, but grace tells of what Christ has done for men. What a beautiful summary. So while Moses provided a sacrificial lamb to signify the promise of forgiveness, Jesus himself is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In fact, the grace that Jesus exhibited and purchased at the cross is what saved Moses. <laughs> And what saved Abraham in the Old Testament and others who walked by faith, it's a grace that reaches backwards in time, not just forwards. The lamb that was slain from the, the very foundation of the world, it supplies grace to all who receive him, who believe in his name. 
Again, the reason that we gather here today is not because Jesus is a great spiritual leader like Moses. No, we're here today because Jesus saved Moses. And we're here today because he saves all who have trusted in him. And we're here today because we stand in constant need of that grace. There's a reason that he says grace upon grace. And the reason is, is because we have sin upon sin. And as Christians, we never get to this place where God can stop giving us grace because we can make it on our own, right? Oh, I've got enough of that already. I don't need any more of that. No, I need more grace. We need grace until the day when we enter heaven and we're made perfect, glorified before Him. And until that day, we need grace upon grace for our sins. This is why we celebrate. This is why we come to honor the Lord and thank Him once again for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that there's been grace that has saved us. He was unique in His person. He was unique in His resources. Finally, He is unique in His revelation. His revelation. John writes one more thing in verse 18. He says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. No one has ever seen God. Why? Well, because the Scripture says that God is invisible, Colossians 2.15. Uh, there are times that we see in Scripture where we see manifestations of His presence, like in, like in Exodus 33 when God has His glory pass by or His goodness pass by Moses, and there's things like smoke and fire and earthquakes. But He has no form, the Scripture teaches us. He's immortal and invisible. Skip Ryan talks about the story of a mom whose daughter was busy drawing one afternoon, and the mom asks what she's drawing. She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the Mom says, well, you know, sweetheart, no, no one really knows what God looks like. And the little girl says, well, they will know when I'm done, she said. <laughs> well, God is invisible. And so we can't see Him. We can't draw Him. He doesn't look like anything. And no one has ever seen God. But, but how amazing is it that what John is saying here is that we can know Him. We can know Him. How? Because the only begotten Son of God took on flesh and has made Him known to us. That's how. It literally means something like Jesus has explained Him to us. It's, uh, the word means to exegete. Uh, which is a, a word that uh, scholars or preachers would use about interpreting the Bible. It's what I'm doing today. I'm exegeting the Scripture. I'm in, explaining and interpreting the Bible. That's exactly what Jesus does uh, with God. He's, he's, he's revealing. He's explaining. He's interpreting God for us because He is God. He gives the full revelation of God to us, what He is like, what He intends for the world. He bears the same nature, we're told. The same, he possesses all the inheritance, all the goodness, all the greatness, all the gifts, all the possessions that belong to His Father. So if you want to know what God is like, you need to look no further than Jesus Christ, His Son. This is, this is John's main point for us. 
in, in these first 18 verses, that Jesus is God. And we see many of these things in Romans as we study them. Jesus is the true Adam who has come to recreate our humanity. Jesus is the true God. He is the uncreated creator of the universe. Jesus is the word through whom we hear the voice of God, through whom God created the world, and through whom God is recreating the world. He's the word. Jesus is the one who has life, all of life in himself, so that he can give that life to those who believe in him. Jesus is the true light who enlightens our minds and our lives. Jesus, verse 14, is God in the flesh. Jesus is God among us. Jesus is the glory of God. He's the embodiment of all of the perfections of God. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the radiance of God whose glory transforms us as we gaze on Him. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God and whom we experience and come to know the Father. And, and make no mistake about this, no matter what you hear, from those on the outside, God cannot be known apart from knowing Jesus Christ. There's no salvation apart from Him. And Jesus Himself prayed in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, here's what it is, that they know You, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You send. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. And for all who recognize their sin and acknowledge their emptiness and, and who long to be filled with nothing less than God Himself, Jesus will be your Savior if you trust Him now. Whoever, John says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, he says. And so that question remains, what about you? What do you think? Will you trust in Him today? If you have, then we continue to trust in Him, right? And we worship Him. It's the only response to a God is to worship Him. And so will you recognize the grace that you're standing in today on another Sunday morning that happens to fall on Christmas morning, you recognize the grace that you're standing in today, and lo and behold, it has rolled in again upon us. Undeserving, it continues to roll over us, grace upon grace, like waves flowing over our lives. I tell you, this is the joy of Christmas. This is the meaning of Christmas. The child who has been born is the only begotten Son of God who is full of grace and truth and who gives that grace to those who believe. Amen. Lord, we thank you. And once again, for the precious gift of your Son, and I know that in this passage it is so rich and full that we've only touched the, the tip of the iceberg to who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to help us to focus on him and gaze at him. And may this be something of, of a commitment even for the new year that we would see more and more of the glory of Jesus Christ.
that our gaze would be fixed on Him, not just on this Christmas morning, but each day of our lives. For those that might be here today who uh, perhaps came because their family came or came because they felt like they uh, some other reason or motivation, perhaps they don't know you. I pray today that you would open their eyes, open their souls to see and hear the glory of Jesus Christ, who He is and all that He has done. And may they be saved today through the resources of His grace. We sing and worship you now as the King of Kings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.